Florence here. Uh, we're very pleased to have you here. We love Ben. <laughs> we love Ben and we really do esteem him highly um, in our congregation. And you can be exceptionally proud of Ben. And it's a privilege for us to have you with us this morning as well. Ben, we receive you as a man of meekness and humility and integrity. I want us all to open our hearts this morning as Ben. One thing you can know about Ben is that he's going to be handle the word with integrity and with care. He's not going to come up here and tell you what he thinks. He's going to tell you what he knows from the word. Um, and so I want you to open up your hearts to him this morning. And I'm going to just pray for you, Ben, before you kick off. Father, we thank you for your servant and son, Ben. Thank you for the gift that he is to this community. We thank you, Lord, for all that you show us about yourself through his life. And I thank you that his life is yielded to you in that way, that we may see that. We thank you for your word this morning and what you've put on Ben's heart. And we receive it, Lord. And I thank you for your spirit in Ben, that you would enable him, Lord, to do what he needs to do this morning. That you would fill him with all grace to be a minister of your gospel, of your new covenant, of your love, of who you are this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, so, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Morning, everyone. Hello. 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 We're all awake. Have had our coffees and everything. We are, we are present. Awesome. Um, I just want to, yeah, I guess just start off um, very recently yeah, we had the massive opportunity of going to India again this year. And um, so it was a two-parter. First part, we go into like the highlands, uh, really high up the foothills of the Himalayas. And it's just this amazing views everywhere. And then the second half, we joining a we joined a conference in Delhi. And that was, you know, we were going to speak there a bit and join them in their sessions and everything. So we come from this... Um, Really cold, like minus five degrees. You know, you see snow-topped mountains while you're sipping your coffee in the morning, and it's just beautiful. And then you come to Delhi, you walk out the plane, and 35 degrees Celsius slaps you in the face. Um, and we get taken to the conference venue where we'll be staying for um, just the weekend that we're there, around four days. We have no idea what we're gonna, where we're gonna stay. We just know it's at the venue. We're gonna eat there and everything. We're just gonna be there. So we get there. They we meet a bunch of people, so friendly and everything, and then they're like, okay, cool, we're going to take you to your rooms now. And we walk our three flights of stairs, and they open these big, like, swinging doors, and there's this massive room with, like, 80 beds in it. And then we're like, shucks. <laughs> and we just, it's packed with people we don't know. And just the introvert inside is just dying. It's like, oh, my goodness, where am I, where am I going to get space? How big are the toilet cubicles? Because I need to breathe. Um, and it was a bit much. It, I'll be honest, it was a bit much. But, you know, as the time went on, we would, you know, eat together. We would, you know, have sessions together, like going up and down these three flights of stairs. The dining halls on the second floor and the conference venues on the first floor. So it's like a up and down version the whole time, like eat, conference, eat, conference, sleep, sleep. Right? And... But towards the end of it, you just you really like build a connection with the guy sleeping one meter away from you on either side, and it's just 
it felt special. Uh, what started off as a hi, I'm Benjamin, and him replying in broken English, it turned out to be like a just a brotherly connection that we formed towards the end. And it was just so beautiful. And when you wake up staring into someone else's eyes, you, <laughs> you can't help but feel connected. Um, yeah, and you know, with you know, Christmas holidays, it's coming up. We're almost likely going to go home a bit and spend time with the family. And towards the end, it might get a bit, you know, rough. And I, a few heated conversations here and there. Because people, you know, they're trying to remind you of yourself. And you don't always like to see that. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's family. It's, it's connectedness. You are, you've grown up together. You've, you know, they've spoken into your life. You've irritated their lives. And it's, you know, parents, brothers, sisters, cousins, and everything. It's just your family. You're connected. And that's really the topic I want to speak on this morning, which is community, um, connectedness and togetherness, and how this applies to a church, which we are. Um, I just, yeah, I guess we can just start by looking at Jesus a bit. So here's this guy. He comes onto earth, you know, son of God. He lives, sure, around like 20 to 30 years and... He starts his ministry. So what he does is he goes out, goes to the nearest temple, and chooses 12 of the best, um, you know, educators that there are, and he walks the road with them. No, no, that's not what happens. He walks down to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He picks up Peter, which is probably yelling at his nets, and he picks up... Um, uh, when you're on the spot, uh, Andrew, James, and John, which are also fishermen and, like, they're really not the most uh, like nicest people, I suppose. Um, and he picks up these 12 disciples all around. They're probably just like lying next to the road, like, okay, I'll pick you up as well. And it's like these like ragtag group of men, and he walks a road with them for uh, three years. Um, just want to think about the dynamics a bit of this. So, like I said, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these guys are fishermen. They on the boat, their hands are probably full of calluses and blisters. They're like, they're rough. Um, you know, they, like we hear a few times over how they fished for a day and they got nothing. Imagine getting no work done, like when you try to work and not when you're not working. I mean, like, imagine going out trying to work and getting nothing done when you come back. And how frustrating that must be. It must be really hard on the inside. And <laughs> these guys, they... Yeah, they're rough. We know that Peter himself is very outspoken. He puts his foot in his mouth multiple times throughout Scripture, saying things he shouldn't, but I guess he's learned, um, if we see him in Acts, he's, he's grown up a bit. But we know that James and John, they're nicknamed Sons of Thunder. I don't think you get called that by being you know, sitting in the library and just, you know, just reading all day. Uh, they were, they're very loud with what they, what they had. And that's just like, the first three guys that we know of, and there's 12. These guys are rough. We have Simon the Zealot. Well, if you don't know what the Zealots were, these were political activists. They were really, ah, they had an unction against, and their blood boiled against Rome. They just really, really did not like Rome. Rome was public enemy number one. Um, and they were, yeah, they were called to be reckless and extravagant in everything they did. 
I don't think they were doing cartwheels and everything when they were um, doing out their activism, but I mean, they were very bold and, and out there. And this is the false guy in this group. Remember, there's 12. Um, and then we go into Matthew, which was a Jewish tax collector. Remember Simon? He does not like Rome. He was pretty much worked for Rome. Um, yeah, tax collectors were really despised. So it's like they were counted as harlots or counted with harlots, Gentiles, and sinners. Imagine being grouped like that just because of your occupation. So that's just like some four, four of these guys, and they just had obviously had a lot of conflict. Like just imagine them sitting around a table, like, you know, Peter saying something really bold and outrageous. Um, you know, James and John are like out there, like, no, 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 we don't agree. They're getting louder and louder and louder. Simon is eyeing Matthew. He's like, yeah, I don't like this guy. And you can just imagine the tension around this dinner table. And they live together for three years on the road. You're tired. You're sleeping in tents, most likely. If you have a tent, it would be nice, I guess, at times. But you're always walking. Your feet are tired. Uh, imagine how dirty it must be walking in sandals everywhere. I know most of us do it anyways, but just imagine how dirty it is traveling day by day. And this group of people was rough. They went with Jesus, but this is who Jesus chose to be his disciples. The people he chose to hold and um, hold his messages and bring it to like, the world. And by living together for three years, they got a sense of who Jesus was. They got a sense of what it means to be the Son of God walking as man, seeing his ministry in action. And I'm sure Jesus even had his low days. And just seeing him in that space was, must have been extremely special. So you see, towards the end of his ministry, Jesus he goes to the crucifixion. He's resurrected the next day. Hallelujah. Oh, no, sorry, three days later. Hallelujah. Uh, he comes back revealing himself to the disciples, spending 40 days with them. And he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the new covenant. It's the day of Pentecost, a few days after that. There's around 120 people in their upper room. They are just they're sitting there waiting, in unison waiting. And yeah the, yeah, the scripture describes it as in oneness. And yeah, there's a mighty sound, like a sound of a mighty wind rushing through there. Tongues of fire appearing and resting on people. And you know, just... It must have been weird. People start speaking in different languages, and it's like, whew, whack. And a large crowd gathers outside, and they, because this is the uh, festival of Pentecost. It's the festival or feast of Thanksgiving for the first fruits of wheat, if you weren't aware of that. And so there's a lot of people. They've come from all over, all over Judea, all over the world and the surrounding areas, and in Jerusalem, because that's the center gathering point for everything. Um, so you have a really wide range of people. So when they say they hear people saying, like, uh, oh, when the scripture says that people hear their own voice, like their own language is being spoken, it's most likely because, hey, they've really come from afar. Um, so Peter, so yeah, like I mentioned, there's this massive group of people forming outside. And Peter stands up, now filled with the Holy Spirit, might I add, and he starts delivering his first spiritual sermon to everyone, and boom, that day, 3,000 people around, uh, 3,000 people, I like to think it's more, they rounded down, because it was around, like, 
a nice number, but they believed and were saved and baptized. That's insane. These like it's the first fruits of God's new covenant on the day of celebration of first fruits of the harvest. And you know, the church, you know, Christ's bride is beginning to form. And now what? <laughs> you have a bunch of three thousand people who followed Christ, or no, not followed Christ yet, but have been in Judaism, and they're like, now what? We have a new covenant. How do we live? And then we get to Acts 2, at the end of Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, and this is kind of how how it looks. I'll read it out for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God with, and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I just want to break this down to just that first verse, which is verse 42. Um, just what do we see them doing? First point, we see them devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So it's fairly simple, but these are like baby Christians, new, new, like new believers, uh, most likely Jewish. And in, in, that, in that time, Judaism and uh, livelihood was so closely entwined. What you believed is what you lived. It wasn't just like I go to church on Sundays and I have a life here. It's my life is my belief. So they had to be taught how to live, how to live new under this new covenant. And the apostles, well, they'd followed Jesus. He had pretty radical messages before that. And they had all of this in their head. And they had the Holy Spirit reminding them constantly of how, how you know, what Jesus had actually said. So they needed to be taught. 3,000 baby Christians. Imagine like three thousand in here, geez. Um and it's they had so they devoted themselves to the, the apostles because the apostles were commissioned and you know they had that authority. We also see them have fellowship. The word used in scripture is koinonia. This translates to fellowship, association, community, joint participation, and contact. So in other words, it means an intimate spiritual um communion and participation, sharing in a common religious commitment and spiritual community. So there was a connectedness and a goal. It wasn't just like, hey, we together, buddy, buddy, but they were going somewhere together. And there's a vast array of people because, you know, like I mentioned, they all came from different sides of the world, all, all gathering here in Jerusalem. And so most likely a bunch of them came with a day pack. Like, you know, it's okay, I'm just going to stay here at night, and once the session's done, I'm going to go back home. But now oh, they're stuck here. Or not stuck, they're just like, oh my word, here's this new thing. I kind of need to eat today. I don't know what to do. So that, that kind of makes sense that they would sell what they had to provide for those who didn't. But, I mean, these are people of different different races, different nationalities, different from different countries. So it's you know, it's just so beautiful seeing that. We also see them devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. This can both be seen as the sacrament of you know, communion, which is remembering the blood and the body of Christ that was broken and spilled. 
Uh, typically in those times, meals were started with a prayer of thanksgiving. So you know, everyone would sit at the table and you know, the, someone would stand up and they'd actually give a prayer of thanksgiving together. There would be a ceremonious breaking of bread, so they'd take the loaf, break it, and divide it amongst everyone. And more significantly, meals shared in those times were only with people of the same social, economic, or ethnic background. So it's like you, you had a pretty exclusive table that you sat around. It was people in your community, people that thought like you. But those times, it was most likely, in this instance, it's most likely a time where people were like, they were different, very different. They probably had the same beliefs, but they like, people were richer, people were poorer. And the, the scales were just completely wiped off the table, and it was just replaced with bread. Oh, that was kind of cool. Um, and people were unified through Christ and this new covenant. And all those forms of division and exclusiveness were just removed. And the fourth, fourth thing we see them is we see them devoted to praise. This could have been corporate, you know, in their homes that were in the temple. Um, and could have taken this form of psalms or songs. And they directed their focus to God and they did it together. It was so beautiful. Yeah. They devoted themselves to each other as they devoted themselves to Christ. So this is a pretty wild model. Like, I don't think we see each other walking to church every day and um, praying together, breaking bread in our homes and everything. But in our society currently, it's, yeah, we, we've currently shifted so far from what, it, what you see here. Like, we are so different here in Cape Town. And, but we need to be able to look at this. And even though our culture might be completely different, we need to be able to look at what they did and compare it to ours, because if this is the first fruits of the new covenants, we need to be able to see where does this apply to our lives. Because here in Cape Town and the world around us, this loneliness and poverty is immense. A study recently posted that after the end of the COVID pandemic said that in South Africa, at least 40 people say they have or are currently struggling with isolation and loneliness. That's two out of every five people. I mean, like, what's 40% of us? Like, that's it. you can reach and touch someone like that. And it's it, it's so immediate and around us. And if we look at the U.S., alcoholism, burnout, depression, and anxiety have all grown by at least 43% since the beginning of the pandemic. All of these are uh, things that are they relate so heavily to just loneliness. As part of that study, they stated that. Poverty. Currently, 18.2 million people in South Africa are living in extreme poverty. That means living <laughs> per month below 1,058 rand a month. That's insane. I, <laughs> I have no idea how, how they're able to do that. With a population of around 60 million, that's close to a third of this country. And out of all the countries with available data, the Gini coefficient, which dictates how unequally distributed wealth is within a country. South Africa is currently the highest. Yeah, this model we see in the early church might seem a bit extreme, but maybe we need something extreme to start combating this extreme issues around us. Yeah, in Cape Town, we have such a strong individualistic culture. Like being dependent on others is considered shameful or even embarrassing. Independence is highly valued, you know, it's like, oh, I can do this myself. And you just feel, we feel proud about that. 
the rights of an individual takes center stage. Like, what's most important to me? What's most in, what my right? What are my rights? Not what are the rights of my brother? There's a greater emphasis on standing out and being unique. Like, everyone wants to be a, you know, the own celebrity that's like everyone knows is renowned for his own way or him or her's own way of doing things. We place higher value on things like performance at work, our strengths and achievements, instead of just being a good friend or being a good husband, spouse, or wife. Yeah. Or how are we loving those around us? Like that's no long, That's not on the. That's not on the up to upper ten. Yeah, decisions can be made for what's best for the individual and not how to benefit the community and those around us. This is such a far cry from what you see in the Bible. Like, they had, they were in communion. They had everything in community. Like, they had like, my toaster is your toaster. It was it like a direct connection. It it wasn't like you sure you can use my toaster. It's I just thinking of breakfast things. Because um, like I said, Hebraic culture had such a strong focus on family, communal well-being, and connectedness. And we need to learn from that if we want to start being more effective in our community. And many of us are. We are reaching out, but this is such a slow thing to move. It's such a big boulder we have to try and move here. And because everyone, this culture in Cape Town is so strong and so focused inward. And we need to start reaching those, yeah, yeah those around us. And the problem with being individualistic is that I don't think it's part of our design. I don't think God's made us to be individuals. I think he's made us to be people within family and community. Yeah, we need to be able to reach those around us and outside of the church. But if we're so focused inward and towards the individual, we might just be missing the mark. Yeah. So within community, I just really want to focus on two things that we see them doing and I feel really important on my heart to talk about today is one, fellowship. That's the breaking of bread together, sitting around the table and having everything in common, meaning like provision and support with one another in a, in a community. I believe these are really key to healthy communities. Yeah, and these are things that they were devoted to, they'd say. Yeah, they, were devo they devoted themselves to these things. So, fellowship. <laughs> now, this is... As some, this can be, be seen as simply as breaking bread in each other's homes. Not, not necessarily breaking bread in um, parks or anything, but this is homes around the table. And are we doing that? Is this, is this something we're really doing? Are we in each other's spaces? Like, are we, are we sitting around the same table? Are we sitting on each other's couches? Are we using each other's bathrooms? Is it like, are we, are we in each other's faces and is it awkward? Um, because when we, you know, when we in, in homes, we we see each other's, we we see each other for who they really are, you know. Like which side do you leave the toilet paper? And it's like, like you just you know that who that person is, but like, because we have so many layers when we go out, and it's what when we're at home we drop that completely. Maybe a little bit will come up, but I mean it's so much more raw and vulnerable if we're in each other's homes than it is in a restaurant or going for a walk or going for a coffee. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had a, the opportunity of going to France for dinner. And <laughs> um, 
no, no, no shame. Like, we we could see um, the kids were getting tired. They just kind of just wanted to get them fed and just get ship them off to bed so they can actually just rest and get a bit of peace after the long day. And it's you know kind of just shoveling food into them, but um, it wasn't just yeah. Like it wasn't like this massive dinner extravaganza with like nine courses, butlers and like you know, suits, silverware and everything. But it was raw and real. It was so down to earth. And just seeing France read to his kids afterwards, like reading them to them before they go to bed. And it just really touched me deeply just seeing what it means to be a godly father. Just being there for your kids and, and ushering them to bed slightly forcefully. And... <laughs> The whole experience, it just, it, I feel like I was a whole lot more connected to France after that. I just, I felt like I'd known him, knew him a lot better after that. And, cause I saw him, I saw his cracks. I saw he was, I didn't judge him for it, cause being a parent is hard. And blessings to everyone who has kids. <laughs> but I saw him as a human and as an individual, not this perfect worship leader. I saw him as, France, and it was so special. Yeah. And something just really unlocks when we just sit around a table with each other and eat a meal. Like, and we have a structure for that. It's, it's really amazing. We have homie Sundays. So it's, you know, at the end of the last Sunday of every month, we get together, we just sit around the table, and we have a meal, and we watch a, a message, and it's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. It's it's a it's a rhythm that we've really put into this church that we, yeah, we feel is really important, and there's a reason for it. And there's a reason why it's there's a dinner table in the graphic. There's a reason why there's there's food involved because I think for most men the way to our hearts is through our stomach. So we we need to be able to be fed, but then it's both fed physically and then fed socially with within community, and then it's fed by the word. Spiritually, it's like a three trifecta. You just go home just feeling so full, but like in a good, satisfied, like a really nice way. And we need to be able to commit to, to our homie Sundays. It's just because it's so special and getting that trifecta right, it's, it just it unlocks things in the long run. It just strengthens the community that we are, the, the connectedness within this church. Yeah. So, you know, how's our commitment to homie Sundays? How, like, where is it? Is it, I don't know, something you have to look into your own heart. Are you sitting around a table and, yeah, are you hosting if you can? Don't make space an issue. I'm pretty sure you can sit on the floor and have a better time than if you sit at like a fancy, long, like really well-oiled table where you have butlers serving you with everything. I think it doesn't have to be perfect. If you need more chairs, yeah, like I said, you can sit on the floor. If you need more plates, I hear Pepe Home has really good deals and it's like really well priced and not bad quality. And, and take the chance to rope people in that you don't know. Like there might be someone sitting on that side and you normally sit on this side and you never see them. And then you invite them to Homie Sunday and oh, you, it turns out they do kiteboarding and like, wow, that's amazing. And you can actually get to know the different people within the church and um, it can just really be just a way of just, instead of it being a People walking together, it's separate, but together, it's people walking together and together. That makes no sense. <laughs> because we, 
you know, because we, we're on a mission here. Like, we are all striving for sanctification and bringing the kingdom to earth, but it's a lot easier if we can actually just pick each other up. And it's, we can't really do that if we're not in community. And because in community, there's support. There's, you know, if you're all linked and you're yoked together and a brother falls, you, you feel the weight of that. You feel like the pressure is on you. And there's most likely going to be times when you fall. And you have to pick up. And a brother picks you up. And it's a, it's a give and take without any sort of score, like no score being taken because you pick a brother up as many times as needed because when, you know, when Jesus comes again, we're just going to be there in glory together and you don't want to have seen a brother fall away from his faith because you weren't able to pick, because you weren't willing to pick him up and we really need that support, (laughs) living in Cape Town stuff, it's, it's rough, there's a lot of work, we focus a lot on time and a lot of things cloud our minds, and we need to be able to encourage each other and stir one another to on to good works. So, yeah, Scripture says, "Do not neglect the gathering of the saints." And God sets the lonely in families. I mean, we just saw the stats here: forty percent. I can't say we don't know lonely people. Um, and our, is our living spaces, you know. Does it accommodate that? Does it accommodate people to come into our space and feel like they're connected? Is your is your dinner table long enough, or is your I don't know, floor space big enough? It doesn't really matter. But the dinner table itself is such a strong weapon we can actually use to combat this loneliness. Realistically, if you can hold the dinner table in your hand, you'll be very big. But I mean, it could be, it would be a very good weapon. Uh, I, I think personally. It would be more like a cricket bat, but um, we won't won't go into that. Anyways, moving on. We see they have provision. This is something that is so dear to my heart this year. Um, I've I've been on the receiving end this year, and I'm just extremely grateful to everyone who's donated and deposited money into my journey this year. And it's, it's helped me survive. It's helped me eat. It's helped me... Do more than just um, yeah, just the day to day, but actually survive. This is the word, um, and I'm extremely grateful for this. I'm extremely grateful for everyone, and thank you. Um, we see, yeah, they had provision in this first church. <laughs> they sold their possessions and belongings, you know, their assets, like things that they didn't necessarily need. Because suddenly they had one desire, and it was God. And they were just like, oh, this is all I need and all I want. And so I was like, who needs that toaster? Um, and they distributed the, either the, the proceeds uh, to those who had need. And uh, yeah, the, all the who believe had things in common. Like said, said toaster. Um, yeah, and this really couldn't have happened organically if they weren't meeting together. If they weren't sitting, breaking bread together. If they weren't going to temple together and being like... Dude, your sandals are a bit, a bit worn out. I got an extra pair at home. Can I give them to you? Sort of vibes. And it's like it's, it's not about like begging and asking for handouts. It's about seeing a need and addressing it. And it's, it's only through relationship that you can do that. It's only through a relationship that you can ask. It's only through a relationship you can give to someone. And yeah, that's why it's so important that we get back to that fellowship, that eating around one another's tables. 
Uh, it's like you, you can go for coffees, runs, sitting in restaurants and everything, but like, like I said, those, those layers, those, those uh, boundaries, those shields are up, and you don't, you don't embrace that person. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier to connect. And yeah, realistically, we all have different areas. We have surplus in, we have two toasters for some reason, and it's, there's like a, it's almost like an elastic band where we're kind of aiming for a circle, but everyone's stretched in different directions and there's excess in some areas and lack in others. And within a community, it's such a beautiful medium of distributing. It's like, do you really need two toasters? I think I need a new analogy. Um, but, um, uh, but it's like, it's in that process of saying, I actually don't need this much of this and that person really needs this, or and I think a lot of this is spirit-led as well. It's like, God will either put it on your heart to give something, and sometimes it's actually sacrifice. It's not always excess. And there's so much joy in being able to give. Uh, Paul, when referencing one of Jesus' teachings, it says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Meaning that like the simple act of giving something to someone is actually more blessed than receiving it. And if we're not able to ask for things, aren't we actually withholding blessing from someone? That's a very interesting way of thinking it. Yeah. And our first question to consider is, why is it so embarrassing or shameful to ask for a helping hand? You know, is it really such a far cry to say that we are not able to provide for every single one of our needs? That's practically impossible. Like you can't provide for everything you need, especially, especially like um, the the sense of the divine. Only God can provide for that. Um, so why should it be so weird asking for help? Why should it be so weird asking for support or financial contributions? Um, and you know, something to really consider is: Are we withholding where we see need? It's, it's a bit of a rough one, but is there a hardness in our hearts, a fear of lack, a, f a full understanding of who God is as, as a provider? We can't see him as a provider or can't experience God as a provider if we don't need, if we don't experience lack. And we can't see aspects of God's character and build our faith if we don't put it out there. Maybe giving more of ourselves at times reveals more of God's character. And now oh, we need to really be able to yeah, see and consider that because like where we are in our faith is if we don't stretch and push those boundaries and don't experience more of God, most likely you're going like, to dry out and it's just going to get a bit boring really. Like ah, you kind of want to, God's really exciting guys. Like he's, he's really amazing. And if we don't experience more and more of him, which there is an infinite amount, then yeah, we're never really going to grow, and it's, oh, it's it will be such a shame doing so. Oh yeah, I mean, like you might be asking, like, what do I have to give? Like, what what is it? It doesn't have to be financial. It doesn't have to be physical. You just have time. Time is such a big thing. Like parents, you somehow go into the negative and still survive, and it's 
for us younger single people, we have a lot of time. We'd, if, if you want to see something, go, go to Francis house. <laughs> I don't know how they manage to do everything that they do. And it's, we have time. Time is such a valuable commodity, especially here in Cape Town. It's, it's something we can give a lot of. We realize you don't need nine hours of sleep. You can use with, use with eight and seven is not ideal. It's pushing it. I don't know if I could do that, but eight is, it is, like you, you've got an hour to spare at, at times, and people can really help and can really use with that help. And that, that again, feeds back into community, feeds back into fellowship, it feeds back into eating around the table. Because eating around the table, we open, we become vulnerable, we see each other's eating styles. I don't know why that guy cuts his spaghetti instead of twirling it. And it's like we become family. And you know, our church's motto is family on a mission. It isn't people gathering together on a Sunday who have their own missions and more or less do it simultaneously. It is family on a mission. Family needs to see each other at their worst. Family needs to have fights sometimes. Family needs to be able to complain sometimes. And family needs to, you know, just Look someone else in the face. Someone has to say, "Man, please don't cut your spaghetti." And family also brings each other up. Family draws those people beside them, sees them the way God sees them, and prophesies into their lives, and says, "You are this. God has made you to be this, and I see this character in you." And we bring each other up and we are, and we become a family on the mission. And that way we, you know, how much easier is it to slot into a family and a mission if we're all together and we're all connected? Because Cape Town's lonely. Cape Town needs connections. If we're not able to open our, our table for an extra space, because God places the lonely in homes and families. We need to be able to create that space there while going forward and draw people in with us. Give them a mission that is Christ, that is sanctification, that is bringing kingdom to earth. And I think if we can get that right, we can really see Cape Town start to change. We can see the people next sitting next to us at work change. Uh, at, for some people, it's such a weird concept, meeting and eating you in your home and having a dinner. Where, where are you going to sit? <laughs> We're going to sit on the couch and watch TV and eat together. It's like it's such a foreign concept of actually just sitting around a table here in Cape Town. Um, even if your cooking is terrible, it doesn't really matter. You know, genuine needs to be met. Needs need to be met. Not just handouts or hand-me-downs. You know, how can we really support one another and stir one another in our faith? Yeah. And how being able to keep one another accountable, you know, how, how will that flow over into our workplaces and into our neighbors? Like, how many of us actually know our neighbor's name? It's, yeah, they might actually need <laughs> meet Christ more than we know. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to pray for us. And Franz, you want to get do your, do your thing. Um, yeah, I really want to yeah, just ask that, yeah, just 
ask God now, just bring something before him. I, I really trust that he's supposed to put something on your heart. I'll ask him, you know, how can you change? What's, what's that one person that, he can, that he's put on your heart? What's that um, one way of living that you can change a bit? <laughs> who's that one person you can ask and who's that one person you can give something to? It's, it's, it's not about keeping track. It's about continually moving forward and what can help the person next to me achieve that goal, achieve what we need in life. And, you know, how can we support one another? Uh, yes, Lord, thank you that even you yourself, the Trinity is a community. Thank you that you have, you have your own yeah, like own perfect image of what, what it looks like to be in communion. I pray that you touch our hearts and encourage us on to yeah, just grow the community around us as well. I pray that you put people on our hearts to draw into this community. Yeah, I pray that you open our eyes to see needs. And I said, yeah, provide the means that we can support others as well. on so so broken and so so alone and they just need you so desperately now I pray that you now put in our hearts just ways we can journey with you and bring others alongside us now I pray that as we go out this morning that Whatever you put on our hearts, when we stolen or snatched away, it will take root and take form. It will start to slowly change the way we think and the way we see the world around us. Yeah. Because we know your love for us now. Imagine how much more you love, how much equally as much you love others around us who don't even know you, have not even chosen to follow you and experience that. Now I sort of stir a desire within us to share of your goodness. Yeah. In Jesus' name.